Why not the start? That's okay. You can do it at the start. It's all good. Um, let's pray. Lord, thank you for, uh, God, your word. Thank you for your presence with us, God. And Lord, I just pray right now, open up our, our ears, open our hearts. God, uh, challenge us and grow us, Father. We, we're all, every one of us in this room, we're all on a journey. God, there's nobody here. None of us have made it. Uh, God, sometimes we like the journey. Sometimes we don't. Uh, sometimes we see things that we gel with. Sometimes you show us things that we would rather not see. God, sometimes we get questions that we can easily answer. Sometimes we're confronted with questions that are a bit more difficult, Lord, but it's all part of this wonderful journey of discipleship. So, Father, just lay a hold of us this morning. Holy Spirit, take us on a journey and continue to conform us into the image of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, I got out of bed this morning. It was really, really interesting, actually. I woke up this morning and I jumped in my car and I travelled for, I don't know, 60 seconds and I made it to church. <laughs> it was awesome. We're in our home. Uh, not fully set up yet, but we're there in that place. But I got out of bed this morning, jumped in the car. It, it's ridiculous how cold it is up here compared to down there on the coastal strip. Anyone, anyone move from the coast up? It's ridiculous. It's like three, four degrees colder up here. It's outrageous. I, I, I will toughen up eventually, Bevan, but I'm just a babe. I'm a Ganelabar baby at the moment. I'm just, just coming out of the womb into the land of Ganelabar. Um, so give me time. Give me time to grow on up. But here's the thing. It's 13 weeks we spent sleeping in our friend's house uh, in a section of their home. Um, when we found out we were moving, it was bang, real quick. We've got to get out of the house uh, within 12 hours. I'm loading up cars and trailers and things and finding where we could store stuff and transporting stuff. We've just been helter-skelter then into trying to find where to go and we had a week at the Ramada and oh, I'd like to say that was tough. It was pretty nice actually, but still, it was tough because it wasn't ours. And then from there we ended up at Walling Bar with some friends' place and then of course there's all the logistics that go with that. We've got uh, a daughter that does dance in Byron Bay and, and netball in Ballina and she goes to school in Lismore and, and uh, Jackie's working down there but we've got a, a church up. And, and so our, basically our whole life and routine, everything was thrown out of whack for 13 weeks. It was very difficult and it was a struggle. There were things about it that we really enjoyed about that journey and things we didn't. There were things that were uh, easy to adapt to. There were other things that were more difficult to adapt to. Um, but here's the thing, we've landed now and it's, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we went on that journey because of where we are now and in the place where we are. Got our own home. Never thought it would happen in my wildest dreams that the Lord would open a door for us to be able to purchase a, a house that is ours. But, but God has done amazing, wonderful things, and I am so in awe uh, of the goodness of God and what he's able to do uh, at a point even where my own natural eyes are saying this can't happen. As a matter of fact, my own experience tells me this was never going to happen because I've been to banks and I've tried to go down this path before and tried so many times and tried so many times and been knocked back and been failed at trying to get loans to try to get my family into a home. And, and uh, it's kind of... Bank managers are a little bit sadistic, I reckon. It's, they, they'll sit there and they'll go through the whole process with me all the time, but I feel like they're laughing under the breath going, <laughs> wait till he tells me how many kids he's got. <laughs> And I say, how many kids you got? And it used to be four, and they press a button and just go, ah, <laughs> there you go, you're not getting nothing. Um, and so anyway, the kids have grown up, and it's been a long journey. But we got there in the end, and I'm glad that we, we did it. It was definitely worth the journey. 
And I kind of feel like here as a as church as well, I kind of feel like we're on a bit of a journey. Uh, started at the beginning of the year, I, I, I just always felt the start of the year, just had a stirring, something's different, you're forming something, you're taking us on a, a journey. And I'm sure so far on this journey with the things we've been experiencing and, and um, you know, some of the things that, that, that you've been hearing from the front here and, and maybe some stuff within relationships and uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of stuff that has been uh, easy to adapt to, and there's probably been some things that have been more difficult. There have been some things that you would have heard that you go, yeah, I can, I can sort of understand that, I can get there with that. I'm sure there have been things that you've, you've heard that have challenged you and maybe you've disagreed with and maybe you've gone, well, I don't know uh, about that and so on. But I just want to encourage every one of us here, just stick it out. Because the journey may have its difficulties, but at the end of the day, I really do believe it's going to be worth it. I still uh, see in through my eyes of faith uh, what I believe God wants to do through this little community of believers here. And it's got uh, not as much to do with us as what we think. It's got a lot more to do with the people that are out there this morning that are not coming along to, to church, that are not connected to Jesus, that have not experienced the goodness of the presence of God in their own life, that have not felt the significance and the value that you feel when you come to God and you understand that he made you and he fashioned you and he formed you and he's got plans and he's got a purpose and he's got a future and they, they don't know that right now but I, I can see that this journey we're on is about God taking whatever's going on here and, and expanding the kingdom of God beyond the walls and seeing people ushered into faith and into the presence of God. That's what we're doing here. Every, every church, every movement has its focus, it has its goal. Uh, ours has always been to try to connect with people that don't yet know Christ. If we're not doing that, then, uh, you know, if that's not what we want, if it's not our heartbeat, if it's not something that resonates inside of us, then there are many wonderful churches that we could go and find. And you could go to, they're probably closer to your home, they probably regulate their air conditioning better than we do. Hey, Paul. You know, exactly right. But, but here we're on a journey, and that journey is how do we recapture what the church had back when we read in the first 30 years of the church. And I know society is different. I'm not underplaying that. But the church doesn't necessarily have to be different at its core. We dress different. We talk different. Our social worlds are different. Our economic climate is different. Our political climate is different. Lots of things are different. But at the very core of the being of who the people were in the early church in the, in the first 30 years that we have recorded, who those people were, I want to get back to that because somewhere in there, the, the, the book talks to me about a community and a society that looked upon the church with awe and fear, looked upon the church with respect, dared not go near them. The Bible says they dared not go near them because there was just something about that group of people. And it wasn't because they were axe-wielding maniacs. It was because there was something so good and holy and powerful and righteous about these people that, that the world stood in awe of that. Today, the world has the complete opposite view of the people of God. We're weird, we're strange, we're hypocrites, we're this, we're that. It's perpetuated in the media with what they see on the news and all this stuff. And we're on a journey... Amen. We're on a journey to try to rediscover and reconnect with that aspect of our faith that is somewhat outside the bounds of what I can necessarily always understand. You know, um, someone was praying this morning when we were praying before the service. Somebody prayed that passage where uh, it says that God says, my ways are above your ways and my thoughts are, uh, are above your thoughts. He says, my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. But when, when we get confronted with a way that's not our way, rather than going, 
well, I'll open myself up to the possibility this could be God because God prepared me in advance by telling me that his ways were not going to be mine. So rather than just shut it off because it's not my way or just lock it down or say no to it because it's not my way, we want to open ourselves up to the possibility that maybe it's God's way. Maybe. Or that thought. Maybe it's a God thought. I know it's not my thought, but I'm not going to be the kind of person that blocks myself off and shuts down everything that doesn't line up with me. Every thought that, that, that's not my thought, I'm not going to shut it off because God's already told me his thoughts are not mine. So if something comes to me, a way or a thought of something that's not mine or not me, I've got to at least open myself up to the possibility. So long as it does not contradict uh, what we know of God through the person of Jesus and through the collection of writings here we call the Bible, as long as it doesn't contradict God that way, I must open myself up just a little bit to the possibility that it could be God. Does that make sense? And we're on a bit of a journey here. See, my faith, my faith is not a rational, intellectual faith. It doesn't make any sense, to be really honest. Why would a man 2,000 years ago freely give up his life and die for somebody 2,000 years down the track that he didn't even know from another culture, another place? Why would he do that? Why would he put himself through that mockery? Why would he put himself through that pain? It makes no logical sense. I mean, even in today's society, to find somebody that would pay a price for you, if you were to go to prison for five years and somebody stepped into your shoes, said, I'll give up my family, my job, my reputation, my career, my life, and I'll take that five-year prison sentence for you, you would just tilt, tilt, this makes no sense. That's just five years in prison. But we're talking about a man that took so much more upon himself for us. It makes no sense. See, if I've got an intellectual faith and I can be talked into my faith, then guess what? Somebody will come along who's smart enough to intellectually talk me out of it, and I've seen it a hundred times. I've seen it. People that base their faith on the fact that you need to intellectually make it make sense to me. There's always going to be a space called faith. Always. Always. We've got to be careful that we don't want a faith that is so understandable that we don't need faith anymore. Because we can work it all out. Why would Jesus walk up to a guy who's got a clean face, spit on the ground, make mud, rub it on his eyes and say, go wash in a pool? <laughs> That's crazy. But was it God? Now, I'm not saying, by the way, that I want to start spitting on the ground, making mud, rubbing the people's eyes. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this. Even when Jesus was here, his life showed us sometimes God does things that are just that little bit outside the box that are beyond human reasoning and understanding. He does those things. And we want to just allow ourselves to be open to the possibility that maybe God does do things that I don't fully always comprehend or always understand. I don't want to just keep living by experience. And I feel like we're on a little bit of a journey here as a church. We're on a journey of trying to rediscover and go back to, I know for me, trying to, trying, when I read who the church was, who the people were, I'm not so much interested in, in the forms and the fashions, and so, but I'm looking at these people and the passion they had for the Lord Jesus and the commitment they had to their faith and to God and how that, that, that commitment, it was not a religion. It was not something that they said, right, well, this, this philosophy now impacts the way I do things, this philosophy. No, no, it was this person now changes the way I do things. This person, this relationship I now have with God dictates every area of my life, how I do my business, how I manage my finances, how I treat my wife, how I treat my kids, how I treat my employees, how I, 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 I treat my government officials and my leaders. You know? I mean, God's got opinions about a lot of stuff and he wants to fill our lives, not just little bits and pieces. He doesn't just want to be a tack-on onto the end of our world. We just do whatever we want, keep living the way we do. But now that I'm a Christian, there are certain areas where it all looks better to tack on some morals and some values and do things a certain way. Now, God wants to permeate our entire lives. 
He wants to be central to everything to do with our human existence here on earth, which, by the way, is such an incredibly tiny vapor. It's going to be gone like that before you and I know it. I'm 47. Now, to some of you, you're sitting there going, oh, the good old days. I'm sitting there going, I remember when I was 16. And you know what? I reckon I went to bed one night and woke up and here I am with four kids, a wife. And I just went shopping and bought the bank, this wonderful house. You know? It goes like that. It goes like that. And I want to spend that time in awe of my God. I want to have my eyes so firmly fixed on Christ that everything else flows out of that relationship with him. That's, and that's the journey I feel like we're kind of on. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about specifically this whole area of healing. I'm not trying to give you answers. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you not everybody gets healed and I don't know why. I'm going to tell you I don't understand all the ins and outs. I'm going to tell you there is no formula to heal somebody. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you that you personally cannot heal a person. When I came in here this morning, my iPad was really low. The charge was down. So here's what I did. I grabbed that cord that goes to the coffee there, and I plugged it in there where it is, and I disconnected, and I brought it around here, and I plugged it into that little white lead, and I plugged the white lead into here, and it lit up and powered up. But you know what? All I did was I plugged the lead in. If Origin Energy decided not to supply the power, guess what's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing. All I am is like that extension cord between heaven and earth. I'm an extension cord between the power of God and whatever the situation may be down here. Now, if God chooses not to flick the switch on, that's his prerogative. I don't understand it all the time. I don't get it. But he's the one that supplies the power. I don't. Nothing comes out of me. I'm flesh and blood like everybody else. I am just a, a normal, average West Tigers blues supporter. Go the blues tonight. I just had to throw that out there. I forgot it's origin day. But I'm just a normal person who will weep like a baby if the blues lose. Or cheer and get in my wife's face and be dancing if the blues win. But the point is this. I'm just like that connection cord. That's all we are. God is the power source. God is origin energy. And this thing here is a sick person. But what I do is say, here's what I'm going to do. Plug myself into you, God, and I'm going to plug myself in to this sick person and I'm going to ask you, Lord, would you do something? Would you send power through me to heal this person? But at the end of the day, I do it knowing that the power is not of me, it's of God. It's of God. But here's the thing. What if God wanted to send the power through? What if Origin Energy have hooked that up? And what if this iPad is losing its power and I've got the extension cord here in my hand, but I just make the decision, I don't believe it'll make a difference. Well, it doesn't matter what I believe, whether it'll make a difference or not. I'm not called to decide whether I think it'll make a difference. I'm just called to do something that is lay hands on the sick and pray for them. The rest is up to God. So nothing we're talking about here is a formula because there are no formulas. Matter of fact, when Jesus called his disciples, he gave us the formula. Matthew 4, uh, verse 4, I think it is. You can check on that one. Don't quote me. It says this. It says that, that Jesus called his disciples to be with them. He called his disciples to be with him that he might send them out to preach and do all the other stuff. But he called them first and foremost to what? To be with him. The very, every, all, the, all the commissioning passages where he sends out the disciples, it's very clear the order in which it happens. He calls them to be with him, that he might give the power and authority, send them out to preach, heal, but he called them to be with him. And if there's any formula for anything we get out of God, I don't care what it is. If there's any formula that I know out of the Bible, it's this. Please be with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. 
Be with Jesus. Listen to God. Pray. Trust the Spirit of God. Walk through your day with an awareness that he is with you. Because the power comes from God through us to a hurting and a broken world. Now, here's the thing. I believe with all my heart that God's will is healing. I do. I believe that God wants to heal the sick. I see it in the Bible, and I also know it through the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not put sickness on people to teach them lessons. Any more than you would willingly break your child's arm to teach him not to roll backwards on a skateboard down a hill. Or push his face on a burning hot plate to teach him the barbecue grill's really warm, don't put your hands on it. You wouldn't do that, nor would I. And that's why I don't believe that God necessarily goes around putting sickness on people to teach them lessons. There are other ways to do it. Now, I want to show you something here because I've said a couple of times now, we've got to be people who make our mind up to be challenged and open. See, faith is this. Faith is not an ironclad guarantee of something happening. Faith is open an openness to the possibility. It's openness to the possibility. And, and the question is, are you open? to the possibility that God wants to heal people through you. Are you open to that possibility? Because if we're open to that possibility, we're in a good place. God can use us and speak to us and move us. If we're closed to that possibility, then it will become very, very hard for you ever to be used or to see that. Because I don't like the, the, the place that, that, that faith plays in this whole thing. It confuses me and I struggle with it, but it is a reality. But God doesn't say, if you don't have faith, that's all there is to it. He says, I've given you a means of faith. Look at the life of Jesus. Get into the recorded word of God that the Holy Spirit wanted to put down. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. You, you can actually learn and you can actually uh, grow in faith by looking at Jesus and by, by seeing the testimony of God and so on, not by focusing on my own experience. He, I, 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 I read this passage this week, and I've read it before, but it's interesting. This is Paul the Apostle. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 9. And here's, here's, here's Paul speaking. Paul says, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of who? Satan. A messenger of Satan to buffet, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said this to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, here's the thing. Here's what. How many of you think that Paul took his personal experience into his theology of healing? Did Paul go, well, here's how it worked for me. I had this messenger of Satan. He calls it an infirmity. In the Greek, it literally means a sickness. He says it didn't come from God, it came from Satan. I asked God to take it away. And God didn't. But God gave him understanding as to why as well. He said, here's why, Paul. Here's the thing. Paul, you are going to get so much revelation from, from me. You, you are, I'm letting you see things. I'm giving you visions. I'm teaching you stuff. I'm showing you that much stuff because I've got a plan, Paul, for the information I'm giving you. It's going to be written to churches all around the known world back in the day. And 2,000 years later in Ganelaba, we're going to be sitting here reading some of those documents and getting our picture of God from some of this revelation. So God says, you are going to have amazing revelation. And here's the thing, Paul, I know you. I don't want you to become the first Christian Pharisee. 
getting all puffed up because of this great revelation and knowledge you have. So in order to stop you getting puffed up and thinking, I'm Paul, I'm the great one, he said, I've allowed something to come into your world. I didn't send it there, but I allowed this thing to be there, basically to keep your feet on the ground, Paul. Just to remind you, you're human like everybody else that you are ministering to. That's basically what he's saying. I went to God and God said, my grace is sufficient. And Paul himself says this, he says, I know why this happened. This happened because I'm getting an abundance of revelation. He's not just talking himself up. He's going, look, this is the reality. God is downloading stuff to me that most other people haven't got yet, and I'm going to be the voice of God to get that revelation out to the church. So in order to keep me humble, if you want to put it that way, this messenger of Satan has come at me, this infirmity he calls it, and God says, my grace is sufficient. I will. In other words, God gets glory when you're healed, but guess what? God also gets glory from a sick person who walks with their faith intact through that process. Jesus gets on a boat with his disciples and a big storm whips up and they're yelling and screaming and they look down at one point and here's Jesus asleep on a pillow, the Bible says. He's sleeping. You ever been on a boat in the middle of a storm? It's pretty hectic. He had much more peace in his heart than I do. I I wasn't sleeping. I was weeping. You know? I thought, oh, my life's dead. I was, boat's going to tip up. My wife's going to get eaten by a shark. And You know? You ever been out there? It's, it's nerve-wracking. These disciples are reacting like just about every one of us would react. They're freaking out. Jesus, the Bible says, is asleep on a pillow. And so Jesus gets up because they wake him up and they say this to him, don't you care for us? What an accusation. Jesus, you're sleeping because you don't care for us. If you really cared, you'd get up and you'd shut this thing down. Let's be very careful that we don't dictate to God what he has to do to prove his affections for us. And so what does Jesus do in response? You know what? He gets up and he calms the storm. But then he turns to them, just like we've been talking about in Matthew 17. He turns to them and he goes, oh... You have little faith. Where was your faith? I told you to get in the boat, and I told you that we're going to the other side. Now, I performed a miracle for you by calming the storm, but I offered you another miracle, and that was the ability to curl up next to me and sleep through it. And you missed that one. We all want the storm stopped. Sometimes Jesus goes, I'm not going to calm the storm. There's, another, there's a greater miracle. And sometimes the miracle is the person gets healed, and that's an amazing miracle, and I love seeing that. And I've seen, I tell you, I've seen hundreds of them, not just in third world countries. I've seen them here in Australia, in hospitals in Brisbane, at the Gold Coast. I've seen them. But you know what? There's something amazing and miraculous too about a person who's going through something like that and isn't healed but doesn't curse God and die. They keep their faith intact. They've got life in perspective. If this doesn't come to pass, guess what? I'm going to be healed eventually, and I'll be standing in the presence of my Lord. And I'll be with God. I'll be with Jesus. Now, Paul, would anyone here like to accuse Paul of allowing his own experience 
to dictate his theology and his belief in healing. Well, it didn't happen for him. I don't see anywhere in the Bible that leads me to believe that Paul went, that was my experience, so now I'm going to build my faith and my theology on my own experience. Anytime I see a sick person, instead of praying for healing from now, I'm just going to go up and say, you know what, God's grace is sufficient for you, brother. God's grace is sufficient for you, sister. God's grace is sufficient for you, brother. He didn't do that. He did not do that. And I can't afford to build a theology of God and how he acts and what he does based on my own experience. Because sometimes my experience is not right. And sometimes my experience, and here's a revelation, sometimes my experience is exactly this. It's my experience. (laughs) It's me. It's how God is dealing with me. It's what the Lord is saying to me at this point in life. Don't build your theology around your own experience. Be very careful. Make sure our theology comes from the life of Jesus, the Word of God. I'm standing here telling you this. I believe 100% that God is a healing God and that he wants to release healing power. And while I'm standing here, I'm in incredible pain. I've, I've got a nerve, a uh, 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 where my sciatic nerve comes out in my back, the doctors have said it's narrowing, it's getting smaller and smaller, it's squeezing on that sciatic nerve. So I'm in pain 24 hours a day, seven days a week at the moment down this side. But you know what? God is still good. He is still a healing God. I'm still believing for healing. I'm still asking for healing, and I'll keep asking, and I'll keep believing, and I'll keep asking, and I'll keep believing. If God comes back to me and says, my grace is sufficient, stop praying, there's my answer, I'll stop. But until that moment, until that moment, my theology says this, my God is a healing God. This is a sick body. God, you need to do something, and I'm believing that you will. Amen? Don't allow your experience to dictate. Um, that, that was all free. I've got a couple of minutes. I'm just going to finish with the message now, okay? I want to tell you really quickly three reasons, three reasons why I believe that we should still expect miracles. Three reasons why I believe that as a church and as believers, we should expect to see the healing power of God. Three reasons. Real quick, I'll run through them, only because Luke went to such a great job this morning of typing up the points, so I don't want to waste Luke's time. So here we go, real quick. Three reasons why believers should still expect to see the healing power of God. Number one, because God still has compassion on mankind. Can anyone find me a scripture? Can anyone find me a point in the Bible or the life of Jesus where God's compassion for mankind ceased? If you can, come and see me later on. I'll change my theology and I'll line it up with what the Bible says. But until you can show me that compassion of God has disappeared from the earth, I'm going to believe in healing. Because compassion was the number one motivation for why Jesus healed most of the people that he healed. The Bible is full of it. Matthew 14, verse 13 and 14. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. When the multitudes heard it, and when the multitudes heard that Jesus had come, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was what? Moved with compassion for them. And what did he do? He healed the sick. He was moved with compassion. Mark 1, 41 to 42. Then Jesus moved with compassion stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing to be cleansed. This is the leper that came and said, "Uh, if you're willing, can you cleanse me? And Jesus said, I am. And it says that he was moved with compassion. Mark 5.19. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said, go home to your friends and tell them, this is that demoniac, you know, the crazy nutty guy that was in in the graveyard and was cutting himself and ripping the chains. Remember that guy? Jesus went across to the Gadarenes and that. This is this guy here. He's so messed up, it's not funny. And here's what happens. Jesus says to him, Go home to your friends 
And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Jesus set this guy free. Why? Motivated by compassion. Luke eleven twelve to 15. When he came near the gates of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he went and he raised this boy from the dead. If you can convince me, or if you believe in your heart that the compassion of God has ceased for humanity, then maybe you've got a case to say God no longer heals. But it was the compassion of God that motivated and drove Jesus to do the miracles and the healings and the things that he did. It was motivated by compassion. Number one reason why we should still believe for seeing healing today is because God still has compassion on mankind. Number two, because God still wants to be glorified in the earth. God still wants to be glorified. John eleven four. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You see, signs, wonders, miracles, healings, in and of themselves are nothing. They're called signs for a reason. When I came to church this morning, at the bottom of the hill here, there's a sign. It says stop. Anyone see that? You go down this road, there's a big sign there. says stop. How many of you on the way home from church today are going to drive down and go, oh, you see that? You're going to pull over, stand down and go, oh, my goodness, what a beautiful sign. That's Look at the colours. Look at, look at the diameters. It's beautiful. Oh, they even spelled stop correctly. That's amazing. So, hey, friends, family, you've got to come and see this. I'm going to take a photo, send it to the Northern Star. It's an amazing sign. Signs exist to point to something else. And when we see healings and things in the New Testament, they were pointing to something else. A sign doesn't point to itself. In and of itself, a sign is nothing. Signs are there to point to something else. And the miracles of Jesus, quite often in the New Testament, pointed to the Father. They glorified God. People didn't come and glorify the miracle. They didn't glorify the healing. As a result of that, they glorified God. Amen? God still wants glory in the earth. Acts chapter 3, verse 12 to 13. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. There's a guy sitting out the front of the temple gate, beautiful, on the way to church every Sunday. They saw him one Sunday. They decided to stop, and they, and they prayed for him, and he got healed. And they say this to the crowd, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. God did this to glorify Jesus, to show you that this message we have is not just a dead philosophy. The God we are talking about was not crucified and died 2,000 years ago. He actually resurrected. He's actually alive. So we're not here to tell the world about a God that died for their sins. We're here to tell the world about a God that not only died for their sins, but resurrected for their life. Resurrected, came back from the grave. He's alive. It's not just a slogan, church, you're saying Jesus is alive. He's actually alive. If we believe the record of Scripture, he's actually alive. And miracles, signs, and wonders bring glory to a resurrected Jesus. They bring glory to the power of God. Matthew chapter 15, 30 to 31. Then great multitudes came to him, having, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. They laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitudes marveled when they saw the mute speaking. They marveled when they saw the maimed made whole. They marveled when they saw the lame walking. And they marveled when they saw the blind seeing. And what did they do? They glorified the God of Israel, the Bible says. 
And when God turns up in a community and he starts doing these things, there's no way that you can't get around it. It's there, it's tangible, it's evident. When God starts doing this stuff, it glorifies him amongst the people. It's something out of the ordinary. It's something unusual. It's not natural, normal. And a living God can do that kind of stuff. I've seen people healed, and I've seen people that had no interest in God whatsoever. I was in a, a Muslim community in central India one time. I usually used planted a church in this little uh, Hindu community. We used to go there every Tuesday night. And we would do church. It was beautiful. I loved it. And there was a, the high caste Muslim part of the, the city, the, uh, the, the little village. They kept themselves separate because they had all the money and they were upper caste. And where we had our church was amongst the kind of lower caste people. And, and, and this went on for about a year. And eventually one day I'm walking towards the church, the, the little hut with my interpreter. And this guy comes out to me, the guy that owns the hut. And he says, man, we've got to go over to this other part of town. I said, why? He said, because these people over here, they want to hear this message you keep propagating and telling everyone about. And it's in the rich, the, the, the upper class, the Muslim part of the community. And I said, well, if I go over there, though, none of you guys can come with me. And now I'm here for you guys. And they said, no, 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 we'll pray. This is a major uh, thing that they would want to hear about Jesus. We're going to pray here. In a ch- and you go over there. So I went over there. And I did what I always did over there, simple little message about Jesus. And I used to always finish it by saying this. You don't have to believe everything I say. I believe my God is big enough to reveal himself to you if you're open. If anyone's sick, if anyone's got issues, whatever, I want to pray for you. And I went there that day and nobody, nobody wanted prayer. Cut a long story short, a lady comes running in with a, a child with a pretty severe condition, throws the child down in front of me and challenged me. She said, if you're Jesus, it's a good deal with that. Cut a long story short, I bent down and I started praying and I was shaking and I saw running through my head all these newspaper headlines, you know, uh, Christian missionary kills child. And I saw it, I thought, this is the last thing I'll ever do in India before they lock me up because I knew it was a setup. Anyway, you know what? Lo and behold, God turns up and he heals this child. This child stands up in front of this entire community. The grandmother gets so angry. See, not everybody, not everybody thinks it's a great thing. She got angry, grabs this kid, drags her out. But every man in that community came forward and got in a line and said, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. And we had a wonderful, wonderful night praying for people there. Miracles glorify God. And thirdly, so firstly, uh, the reason why we should be expecting them is because God still has compassion. Secondly, God still desires to be glorified. Thirdly, because God told us to expect it. James, chapter 5, verse 14 and 16. This one's pretty straightforward. Is anyone among you sick? I want you to understand, this is after the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, after the Spirit has come, churches are being planted. This is you and me. This is New Testament. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with all in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. Why would God, why would the Holy Spirit through the, the author James write to the churches and say, if there's anybody in your church that's sick, get prayer and God will bring healing. Why would he say that if he didn't want us to have an expectation, no guarantee, but an expectation of healing in the New Testament church? Why would God tell us to do this? Because he wants us to... When, when we come to church on a Sunday, when we open up the front, it's not just because it's a nice thing to do. Here's one thing I know about God. He's not interested in entertaining me. I worked that out a long time ago. He's not going to entertain me. He's not going to do things just to entertain me. You know? And I think some people, they like the, the entertaining environments. They like to go somewhere be entertained. Let's watch everybody fall over. 
It's what people shake, roll and roll. Look, if you do, you don't. Whatever, I don't care about that stuff. What I care about is this. I don't believe for one second that if you come up and we pray for you, God's going to do something just to entertain us. And if I'm praying for people to be entertained, that's the wrong motivation. That's not compassion. That's not caring about you. That's caring about me, my image, what I look like. When we open up the front here for prayer, we're doing it in direct obedience to what the Bible teaches us to be doing when we gather together. We're calling people up. If you're sick, come up and pray. If if you come to church and you're sick, I think it's natural for you to come with an expectation and a desire to be prayed for and to be healed. I think it's healthy and normal, and that's what James is saying. And I love what James says. He says, if any one of you is sick, call their... What does he do? He puts the emphasis back on the sick person. He says, if you're sick, you call the elders. You're sick, you reach out and say to somebody, would you pray for me? I don't want to get caught up on elders and anointing of oil. That's not the point this morning. What I'm talking about here is the expectation that God would want to heal in the New Testament church. And I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's exactly what God wants to do. I'll finish with this. So I know this brings up a lot of questions for people. But I believe as New Testament believers, we should be, we should be seeing ourselves like that power, that, that extension cord. It's what we are. We're that extension cord. We're connected to a power source called the creator of the universe. And that power is resident within us. The Bible tells us that. It says that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in your mortal flesh. That's what the Bible teaches. I'm filled with power by the spirit of God. I have within me the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to connect like a power cord. I'm going to connect with heaven and I'm going to connect with the need or the situation or the sick person or the oppressed person. I'm going to be that bridge between the two. I've got all the wires. I've got everything there. I can carry that power. I'm a good conductor. And if God desires to flick that switch, I want to be there. I want to be there. And I put myself in that place of faith. Because I, I sometimes, and maybe it's an immature picture, but when I first got saved, I, I developed this picture in my head of God. And I'm not going to take a scripture and show you where it is because it's probably not there. But here's what I thought. You know those kids when you go to a checkout and they're just chucking chocolates on the thing and, and you see the parent just really calm, putting things away and they chuck and they put another one away. They're walking around the aisle and they're grabbing things and putting them in and they take it out of the trolley. And the kids are just going and going and going and going and going. And then right at the end, the parents that sort of get to that tether and snap over the edge, usually the kid knows, by the time I get to the checkouts, when I grab that Milky Way, they're not going to, they're, they're over it, they're just going to pay for it. They're just going to give me the Milky Way at the end of the checkout. No? I kind of had this picture, developed this picture of me and God like that when I first got saved. I thought, God, I'm going to so bug you with this. I am going to pray for everything that looks like it's even might possibly potentially be thinking about getting sick. And I'm just going to keep going and going and going and going and going until the angels in heaven tap you on the shoulder and go, would you just give him something? This kid's driving us nuts. Would you heal somebody, please? Now, I know that's not theologically correct, but that's the attitude I had. I guess in one sense, maybe it is. Maybe that's the parable of the woman and the judge. Just keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. If you don't ever pray for a sick person, you will never see a healing. And if you do pray for a sick person and they don't get healed, who knows? Could only be five more people you pray for before your healing comes. What if you gave up after the one? There's no guarantees, no promises, but what I do know this, that we are called to be a healing community, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, but I'm, I'm, I'm speaking specifically about healing.
We should be praying for sick people, and when we're sick, we should be asking our brothers and sisters, would you pray for us? Because there's so much glory and so many great things that happen. Faith is built. God is glorified. People hear that there's stuff that happens when we do that instead of reaching for a Panadol, going straight for a doctor and so on. Give God a chance to be God in the year 2019. When I was living in India... Uh, there was this Canadian missionary that came over and uh, he used to come over each year and we used to organise big mass crusades like I'm talking tens of thousands of people big sporting and we would travel around with him and he would do these big crusades and I remember at one particular place we were there and he was doing a massive big crusade and I love the Indian people my heart is really for them and I've got a real connection with India and the people there and he would get up and at the end of his message at night he would say all, he, would guarantee, he would basically guarantee he would say to all the sick come forward Jesus will heal you and I caught on to that word will I caught on to it Jesus will heal you Anyway, I would see people come forward and they would be prayed for and there'd be some healings, but there'd be some people that weren't. And I remember one night watching this little old lady. She's bent over like this and she can't walk straight. She comes all the way up. It's a big effort. And God only knows how many kilometers this woman's had to travel just to get there in expectation that God would do something. And she walks up like this and he prays for her. She turns around. Guess what? She walks back like this again. Then I came back the next night, and this was, these were crusades that went on like five, six, seven nights. And he'd come up and get prayed for, go back, come up, get prayed And I, I watched over a time, three, four nights, some of the same people going forward, getting prayed for, coming back, not getting healed. But the next night, they're back there again, getting prayed for, didn't get healed. Next night, they're back there again. Every night, they went back and forth, back and forth, and they never got healed, but they kept going right to the very last night. On one hand, praise God for their faith. That's, that's, that's what faith is. To me, that's, that's faith. That's expect- they've, they've settled the issue. God can do this if he wants to. God has the power to do it, and we're going to just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. But that's not the point. I began to, in my heart, get angry. And I remember one night riding home on my motorbike through all the little side streets of this city we were in, and I was fuming at the Lord. I said, God, here's my problem. He's standing up there saying, you will heal them. And I'm watching these people come forward night after night and not everybody's going to get healed. He's making this ironclad guarantee, by the way, he's communicating that you will be healed. But over here, God, they're not all getting healed. I feel, I feel like that's a lie. And here's the conversation the Holy Spirit had with me while I'm fuming riding on my motorbike. He said to me, okay, Alan, let's talk about this. What's the reality? I said, I'm glad you asked. Here's the reality. Some people are going to get healed tonight. And some people probably won't. And God said to me, okay. So what do you think is going to happen if that guy stands up and goes, right, we're going to pray for the sick now. Some of you are going to get healed and some of you aren't. What category do you think most people are going to put themselves in straight away because of human nature? And I went, well, probably the category that I probably won't. And then the Lord said this to me. Well, if everybody does that, how much faith do I then have to work with? How much faith do I have to work with? If everybody there has already decided tonight won't be my night. It's a good question. I've changed my mind a little bit about that. I know the reality that not everybody does. But it's not my job to put that out there. I want to build faith. I want to see people rise. I want to see people believe in the goodness of God. I want to see people believe that God is capable of while I make no ironclad guarantees, I'm never going to stand up here and say, we're going to pray for the sick this morning. Some of you are going to get healed and some of you aren't. Might as well not pray. Might as well just leave it up to the sovereignty of God. Forget about any human involvement, intervention. Let's forget about being obedient to anything the Bible says and releasing the, the, the miracles of God. Let's forget it all. Because it's all just up to God. It's say la vie Christianity. 
Kesara, Sarah, whatever it is, Kesara, that's the one, isn't it? Doris Day, whatever it will be, will be you. So, I believe that we're meant to be a community that believes in healing. And I hope in your heart that you're coming along that way with us. Amen. I've gone a little bit over what I said I was going to go. This is why we've got to cut things back. I start to ramble on a little bit, but uh, all good. Father, I want to thank you for your word, God. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. Thank you uh, this morning, God, for this journey that we're on, God. We are on a great journey. Uh, Father, I, I want to thank you, Lord, for the beautiful mystery of knowing you, that, Lord, we, we're not in control. You are. But, Father, that gives me great comfort because you know way more than I do about everything. God, you even know me better than I know myself. And so, Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that, God, you have compassion still today for humanity. God, I thank you that you still have a desire to see God glorified in the earth. And I thank you, Father, that you have told us to expect to not only see healing in the life of the church, but you have told us to expect healing to flow through us as well to others around us, God. Father, make us, mould us, take us on a journey to be, uh, Lord, a healing community, not just physical, but emotional, and God, mostly spiritual, that people would come to faith know the reality of God. Lord, I pray for the next seven days, Father, give everybody in this room, every one of us, nudge us, poke us, God, just like we heard uh, that wonderful testimony of Rob's this morning. God, I pray, nudge us, poke us, and give every one of us in this room a chance this week to tell somebody about the goodness of God, God, particularly someone that up to this point doesn't know it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen, that's it. My apologies, I didn't actually even look at that. I was just so in, in, engaged with your beautiful faces looking back at me and feeling like, you know, maybe this Sunday, you know, we're connecting. I feel a connection this morning, is it? You never have those moments. You see, if you have a connection, I had a connection this morning. It's beautiful. Connection, not a conniption. Um, anyway, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Don't forget your mallards.